Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi there, welcome back. This is going to be for Job chapter 1. Now, as we get into the beginning of Job, I just want to give a few explanation things about this particular book. First of all, I'm not going to be giving uh, podcasts on every single chapter. Some chapters are better than others, and I'm not going to give all 42 chapters. So, uh, But here's a little background of the book of Job. First of all, who wrote the book of Job? Some think Job, others Elihu. Some think it was written and then, and then found by Moses, who translated it into Hebrew, which would explain it being in the scriptures. So really, we don't know who wrote the book of Job. As we date the book, some believe Job was among the patriarchs, which would explain his old age. If Elihu was of the family of Buzz, who was a son of Nehor, who was Abraham's brother. There is also an Elihu mentioned in Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verses 8 to 9, somewhere between Moses and Abraham, who held the Melchizedek priesthood. Others believe it may have been written between 300 and 150 B.C. This may have been to show the transition between Old Israel and New Israel during the time of Christ and that Israel could no more rely on the sacrifice of others, but on their own accountability for sins. Was Job a real person? We don't know for sure. The book has been put near the writings to suggest it to be a literary work, perhaps a parable. There is reasonable evidence on both sides, whether he was real or not. The message of the book of Job is very important, but it is difficult to imagine that the Savior would tell Joseph Smith that he was not yet like Job if Job were not a real person. Job may have lived during the patriarchs, which may explain his old age may have lived around the time of Abraham. Both Ezekiel and James mention Job in Ezekiel chapter 14, and then in Doctrine, in, also in James chapter 5, and then in uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 121, uh, as he mentions Job. Job lost his wealth and children, then his health. From the symptoms he may have had elephantitis, boils covered his body which itched constantly. Worms or maggots bred in the sores. His breath became so foul and his body odor was such that his friends abhorred him. He sought refuge outside the city of the refuge, refuse heap, and pain was his constant companion, as were also terrifying nightmares. His face became so disfigured that his friends didn't even recognize him. His friends did not support him, but accused him of sinning to deserve his plight. He was totally alone. Even Job's wife became hopeless and challenged him to curse God and die. Job turned to the Lord for help, but the heavens seemed silent. This was all part of the test. His friends accused him of sinning. Were they wrong in the accusation? accusation? Deuteronomy 11 talks about, uh, Behold, I have set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord. The Book of Mormon teaches a similar doctrine in several places. Job's example makes it clear <clears throat> that though sometimes suffering is a sign of punishment, it is not so always. It makes it clear that affliction is not necessarily evidence that one has sinned. What generally applies to groups of people may not apply to individuals. Joseph Smith said, It is an unhallowed principle to say that such and such have transgressed, because they have been preyed upon by disease or death, for all flesh is subject to death. And the Savior has said, Judge not, lest ye be judged. 
His friends did not comfort him as friends should do. What do you say to someone who suffers great loss? Nothing. What does Mosiah 18, 8-9 say? Be willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, and be willing to mourn with those that mourn, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. It doesn't say to have all the answers, nor to give revelation that has not been given. Job's greatest need was not for reasons, but for revelation, as it is for us. Revelation to know you are acceptable to God. What is the purpose of the book? It is to discuss the nature, causes, and purpose of afflictions and suffering. It answers the question of why Job was afflicted in the first place. The characters are Job, Elihu, the, the Buzzite, from the family of Buzz, son of Nahor, brother of Abraham, and his three other friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, an Edomite, Bildad, the Shuahite, which is an Arabian, and Zophar, the Namathite, or another Arabian. This is a quote by Keith Meservee. I'm impressed that the book of Job vividly illustrates a teaching from the lectures on faith, that if anyone is to endure in faithfulness in his life, he must know the three things, that God exists, that he is perfect in his character and in his attributes, and that the course of life which one pursues is pleasing to the Lord. If any one of these elements be, is missing, then the full basis for faith is missing. Job is regarded as a man of faith. Let's look at these elements in his life. All right, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, probably in western Arabia in Edom. Edom is the land of Esau, whose name was Job. And, his na- and, this, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there, was, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one of his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the son, when the children of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among men to make covenant. This is to make covenants. Notice what it says here that Satan came among them also. This may have just been a poetic way of setting the stage for what follows. The Lord does not bargain with Satan or agree to his evil deeds. Another argument is that the word translated as Satan may mean adversary or angel or adversary angel, or the opposing angel. He may have been a kind of prosecuting angel whose calling is to argue against Job, just as a prosecuting attorney does in mortal courts. Perhaps he is similar to the destroying angel who can afflict humanity with the Lord when the Lord commands. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, in the earth, and perfect and upright man, one who feareth God and escheweth the evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not? made an hedge about him and and about his house and about all that he hath on every on every side thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he is, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Remember, we don't really believe this is Satan that's talking to God, but a prosecuting angel of some kind. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another also, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking and wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they, de and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job was stripped down to the essence of those things that matter most, the things that bring one to eternal life, his faith, his testimony, and his individual righteousness. And that was by Ed Pinneger. President David O'Makea said that he he has always thought that the purpose of the book of Job was to emphasize the fact that the testimony of the Spirit, the testimony of the gospel, is beyond the power of Satan's temptation or any physical influence. Orson F. Whitney said, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our character, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire, and which will make us more like our Father and Mother in heaven. Hero Belize said, It is not the function of religion to answer all questions about God's moral government of the universe, but to give courage through faith to go on in the face of questions he never finds the answer to or his present status. Therefore, take heed of yourselves, and, and as a wise world thinker once said, If the time comes when you feel you can no longer hold to your faith, then hold to it anyway. You cannot go into tomorrow's uncertainty and dangers without faith. One thing, uh, why did Job suffer? It may be that as with the rich young man who came to Jesus asking, what shall I do to gain eternal life? That Job too had one thing that he lacked and that the Lord beholding him loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. And the only thing that Job lacked was the perfection of his faith, as the following extract from the lectures on faith may suggest. For the perfection of his faith could only come when he had sacrificed his all and knew that he had sacrificed his all because the Lord had commanded it. After all, he did know that the Lord was responsible for his predicament and a sacrifice by its very nature is a test of obedience and obedience is a sign of faith. Keep Job in mind while reading the following text. 
An actual knowledge to any person that the course of life which he pursues is according to the will of God is essentially necessary to enable him to have confidence in God, without which no person can obtain eternal life. It was this that enabled the ancient saints to endure all their afflictions and persecutions and to take joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing, not believing merely, that they had a more enduring substance. President Kimball said, it is, not, is it not wisdom in his giving us trials that we might rise above them, responsibilities that we might achieve, work to harden our muscles, sorrows to try our souls? Are we not exposed to temptations to test our strength, sickness that we might learn patience, death that we might be immortalized and glorified? If all the sick for whom we pray were healed, if all the righteous were protected and the wicked destroyed, the whole program of the Father would be annulled, and the basic principle of the gospel free agency would be ended. No man would have to live by faith. Richard G. Scott said, when you face adversity, you can be led to ask many questions. Some, use, some serve a useful purpose, others do not. To ask, why does this have to happen to me? Why do I have to suffer this now? What have I done to cause this will lead, a, will lead you into blind alleys. It really does no good to ask questions that reflect opposition to the will of God. Rather ask, what am I to do? What am I to learn from this experience? What am I to change? Who, who am I to help? How can I remember my many blessings in times of trial? Neil Maxwell said, Sorrow can actually enlarge the mind and heart in order to give place expanded space for later joy. He also said, If we are allowed to linger in the light, we would, we would begin to lose our sensitivity to others. Harold B. Lee said, Don't be afraid of the testing and trials of life. Sometimes when you are going through the most severe tests, you will be nearer to God than you ever had any idea. For like the experience of the Master himself in the temptation on the mount, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and on the cross at Calvary, the scriptures record, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Sometimes that may happen to you in the midst of your trials. We should take heed from Job, for sometimes we, like the comforters, may be tempted to offer our rationalizations about, about the Lord's purposes in allowing tragedies as if they were gospel truth. If we do not know by revelation that someone's daughter died because, they, because she had, was because she was needed in heaven more than here, that someone's son is born to form so he himself could learn to be more compassionate, that God allowed a terrible war to devastate a nation in order that our missionaries could enter the country, etc., we should be reticent to promote our reasoning as the Lord's hidden will. Some comfort can be obtained only by personal revelation, usually to the aggrieved party rather than to a well-intentioned, self-appointed comforter. Unless we have both the revelation and the right to offer it, we should normally give comfort by mourning with those who mourn and by sharing with them our faith in the Lord's ultimate justice and mercy, however difficult to see in this life. Revelation is, is the essential comfort every Job requires. What would you have done to comfort Job, not let him hang around a refuse pile for one thing, no matter how bad he smelled, to have tried to meet some of his physical needs and emotional needs? Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I really like to close. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live it in himself. And that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.